Welcome to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century on Blue Ridge Public Radio. I'm Dr. Marsha Mountshoop. And I'm Coach John Shoup. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. And we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On Going Deep, we go beyond the sound bites and highlight reels. And while we're talking about the Super Bowl in this episode of Going Deep, there still won't be any X's and O's. Thanks for joining us. I'm Matt Bush, the news director for Blue Ridge Public Radio, and I help the Shoops produce Going Deep. This is our third annual Super Bowl episode as we chat ahead of Super Bowl 54, which takes place in Miami and pits the Kansas City Chiefs against the San Francisco 49ers. In our previous Super Bowl episodes, we looked at issues around the NFL and football in general. And here's an issue that has been one for our prior two Super Bowl episodes, race. And that is where we begin the show today. What the Rooney Rule says is it's named after Dan Rooney, who is the owner and president of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And what it says is that for every head coaching opportunity or availability that there is, uh, each team has to interview uh, at least one minority candidate. And it seems that in the last decade, uh, people have been finding ways around that rule. In 2011, for instance, just a few years after the rule kicked in, there were nine minority head coaches in the NFL. Over the last couple of years, the number has just been reducing, reducing, reducing until, we're, as you said, we're down to three right now. One of the things that people are really wrestling with is trying to create a pool of minority candidates that would be qualified NFL head coaches. Most head coaches right now are being pulled from the offensive side of the ball. And of the 32 teams in the NFL, there are only two offensive coordinators that are minorities. And of those two, in fact, only one of them calls the plays. One is just the offensive coordinator uh, in name. So Byron Leftwich at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who's actually working for an offensive-minded head coach in Bruce Arians, who has a lot to do with the game plan. But Byron Leftwich is the only minority person in the NFL right now that calls the plays. The offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs is an individual named Eric Bieniemy. But, of course, Andy Reid, the head coach, is the de facto offensive coordinator uh, because he is indeed the play caller. So the numbers are getting worse, and the practice has pretty much stayed the same. And in the larger culture, if we look between 2007 when that rule was put in place and 2020 where we are right now, the larger society, the conversation has really been moving away from representation toward questions of how we cultivate equity. Equity and equality are different things. Representation and equity are different things. Representation says, let's get diversity in the room and that will fix the problem. Equity acknowledges that racism 
and white supremacy has has have conspired together to create systems that disadvantage people of color. So until you start talking about equity in an institution, representation really does not change um, the culture or ethos. And that's what we're seeing in the NFL. Nothing is changing. In fact, it's getting worse. Because when the same um, systems are in place, which we were in the NFL long enough that we learned many times over that in the NFL, a lot of it is who you know. And John's right that there's, you know, this track through on the offensive side of the ball, quarterback, coach, offensive coordinator, head coach. But there's also a thing that, you know, John's always called a pedigree, you know, kind of who did you come come through who who were your mentors who did you work with who do you know that is a self as a kind of self-perpetuating cycle of white people getting the benefit of the doubt white young white coaches getting a shot when everybody's like oh my gosh he's only 30 years old how did he get that job the same thing doesn't happen for black coaches they don't get those breaks but they also can journey along, work hard, do a great job, but they're not in the position to kind of move up the ladder. So both both ways to ascend to a head coaching position disadvantage coaches of color. And the only way to start talking about equity, really, in an institution like the, the NFL is to start talking about white supremacy, which is a hard hard thing to do when most of the white most of the people in the highest positions of power are white a couple of interesting statistics of the 32 people that call plays in the NFL, 11 of them, more than a third of the people that call the plays in the NFL uh, had fathers uh, or relatives, direct blood relatives that were in the NFL and kind of gave them their first start, foot in the door. All 11 of those play callers are white. I think you make a very good point that there's a path to becoming a head coach. And if you're going to coach in the NFL, a good way to come up in the NFL was being a quality control coach, which is really grinding and doing a lot of the grunt work. I used to I used to compare myself to a paralegal that did all the work, and then the play caller was like the lawyer that just argued the case. But you can go from quality control to quarterback's coach. And when you're the quarterback's coach, they are, in essence, grooming you to be the next play caller. And that's what I did. I went from quality control to quarterbacks to offensive coordinator. Having said that, there's only two minority quarterback coaches in the league right now and the quarterback position is starting to flourish with a lot of black quarterbacks uh in this generation 
my favorite players to watch have been Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Every one of those guys, their position coach is uh, a white guy. And so I think that that's something as well that's important. I don't think that the NFL is doing a good job of grooming minority candidates by starting by doing the grunt work. And it's kind of a double-edged sword because for a number of years, the NFL has had the Bill Walsh NFL Diversity Coaching Fellowship. And for years, what that was was minority college coaches were allowed to come to NFL camps and work. Whenever I was in the NFL, sometimes it was up to four to six weeks that they would be with you in the camp. And you'd get to know them. And many guys got jobs in the NFL through this fellowship. In fact, Mike Tomlin was a Bill Walsh uh, uh, fellow who was at the University of Cincinnati and got his first job in the NFL having served in that fellowship. I've hired coaches through that fellowship. And it was a way to really groom coaches and help them to learn to do a lot of that grunt work. While they still have that fellowship position, college football seasons have gotten longer. And so college coaches have uh, deep reservations about sending you know, some of their assistants away. And the NFL training camps have gotten significantly shorter. And so this fellowship now is sometimes not even a week long when it used to be a really intimate and valuable fellowship of four to six weeks at training camp where you're just working long, long hours. And I think that's one thing that has really affected the pool of candidates uh, coming into the NFL. Arians, uh, who is now the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bruce Arians is uh, the only NFL head coach to ever have an offensive coordinator, a defensive coordinator, and a special teams coordinator, all uh, who are minorities at the same time. And he has that now at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Bruce was part of something at the Arizona Cardinals that I think might end up ultimately replacing the Bill Walsh Diversity Coaching Fellowship. And what they started was the Bill Bidwell Coaching Fellowship. Bill Bidwell is the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, and so Bruce, I'm sure, pitched this idea that you can put your name on this son of a gun, but I do think there's some worth in this. And what they do is when an NFL player... uh, ends his football career. He doesn't necessarily even have to have registered for retirement, but just ends his football career. They sign, uh, each team is allowed to sign uh, a former player to a two-year contract where they can dip their toe into the coaching uh, ranks and kind of see what it feels like. Um, 
there have been some coaches that have uh, come through this. Byron Leftwich, in fact, the offensive coordinator of the Buccaneers right now, came up through this. Uh, but it's also been a way for some players who are trying to hang on, maybe didn't want to retire. It's been an awkward transition for them into retirement and maybe has just helped them kind of ease that blow as they step out. I'm not sure that it's going to become exactly what they hope for it to be, but I, I think that the intentions were, you know, good in terms of they're trying to groom players to be NFL coaches. But that there's nothing embedded in that about coaches of color. It's just former players. It does have to be a, a, a minority person. So, which leads me to this question that I have and to get underneath some of this what is the incentive that the NFL has to diversify its head coaching ranks like what you know there are lots of ways to look at business models and um, you know there are lots of theories about you know thriving for-profit industry and diversity and things like that but what is the incentive for the NFL to do that? Because the optics of the NFL is that there are lots of people of color involved and they're making lots of money. That's what, you know, just a superficial observer. It looks like the players have it pretty good. Um, and I just wonder what, to me, the, this whole dynamic that's been persistent for decades is that there's not a lot of incentive for them to to diversify the head coaching ranks. What do they get out of that? They're, they don't really get a whole lot, but if they can give the appearance that they are um, encouraging that, that they have, um, you know, systems in place that, that try to encourage that even these fellowships that, that might create relationships or give somebody experience or help them even try on for size what it means to be a coach, they still don't address the power dynamics that are the driving force of the NFL. They don't address that at all. But they give the appearance that there is that value. And I'm just, I, I'm just wondering why the NFL would even care about doing anything else than that anything more substantive. I don't know that there is an incentive uh, for that other than when I look at someone like Mike Tomlin, I happen to think who is the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers and is an African-American He's one of the best coaches that I know, period, the end. The, only, the incentive that I think of is I think you're discounting a handful of players or a handful of candidates or more than a handful of candidates, a large portion of candidates that have so much to offer the game. Oh, I, I get that. But what I'm saying is that's already in play. That's already true. But the NFL's already has a system in place where it's the general managers it's the it's the owners of the team that make those decisions so unless the the NFL puts pressure on them that somehow they've got to do something different 
or they've got to look at this issue differently, it's not going to change because there's already clear evidence that you're missing out on something, but that's not really having an impact. So the league would need to have the incentive to be diverse. Yeah. How do you incentivize that then within the the league itself, a billion, multi-billion dollar industry? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think the only thing that motivates a a billion-dollar industry like the NFL is if it's going to cost them not to do it. Yeah. And I think just one more thing on this, it's it's not a coincidence that this is coalescing around the Super Bowl when, you know, this is a team that used to have Colin Kaepernick as their quarterback. What we saw in the take a knee, you know, protest and the ensuing reaction from the NFL was they they feel the pressure from their white fans much more than they do people of color, even that work for them. So it was the 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 kind of white reaction that said, don't do that. That's not patriotic. We're, that's not who we are that won the day. And so I don't think there's an incentive in the NFL to really change this. I think I think they like to talk about that, that this is a problem, but um, they don't have to change. Their fan base is happy with the way it is. And, and, and it's clear that even there is a some evidence that their fan base wouldn't be happy if they did too much to try to remedy it. Because when you start talking about racial equity with the white people who don't like the protests, they don't like that either. That sounds like affirmative action and things like that. So I'm just saying in a larger template of why I don't see it there. One other thing that I would say is interesting along these lines is that Two of the three uh, minority head coaches right now um, come from a defensive background. Mm -hmm. And there are 10 defensive coordinators in the NFL that are people of color. And the path towards leadership positions for minorities has proven to be much more well-worn on the defensive side of the ball than on the offensive side of the ball. And I wonder in this coming decade, as we said with quarterbacks, the top three quarterbacks in the league right now of Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Deshaun Watson are people of color. I wonder how that dynamic is going to change in the next decade because I think that might be one of these incentives is if these superstar athletes start speaking up and and get cut and never get another job. <laughs> you said earlier that more offensive coaches end up right now at least in the in the NFL become head coaches than defensive coaches but historically looking at the league the coaches that have won the most Super Bowls by and large were coaches that were defensive coordinators uh, before they switched and the two that had the most Super Bowls ever were Bill Belichick and Chuck Noll, both defensive coordinators before they became head coaches 
So is this also a strategic thing that the league is just missing by wanting to have more offensive head coaches than defensive head coaches? Well, I think I think offensive football in the NFL is evolving in such a way that the rules really favor offense. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's quarterbacks that are throwing for 5,000 yards now, and that never would have happened even 10 years ago. That never would have happened. With the rules favoring offensive football so much, I think that having a head coach with an offensive background has been generally attractive because you're able to unleash a quarterback maybe in a way that a defensive coach won't let you. You know, some defensive coaches, uh, one guy once told, an offensive coach once told me, it's hard to, and I've, I've found this, I have been a play caller in the NFL and in college for defensive-minded head coaches, and that's hard to do sometimes. Uh, I've told a head coach before, hey, you can't win the Kentucky Derby yelling, whoa, you got to let it loose some, and you got to go. And defensive coaches kind of tend to run the ball, shorten the game strategically. You saw it with the Tennessee Titans this year when really the rules kind of favor throwing the ball all over the place. Out of curiosity, sorry, I don't know the answer to this. Did Ron Rivera not get picked up somewhere? He did. Now, so there's three African-American coaches right now, and then Ron Rivera is a Latino. Yeah, and he's at Washington? Washington. Okay. Something else the Super Bowl is does have is uh, the first ever women's assistant coach and the first ever openly gay assistant coach in the NFL, and she coaches on the San Francisco 49ers. How big of a deal, I guess, is this? Is this? I don't, I don't know how to put that in. I'm not trying to put it in a flippant way, but how big of a deal is this that we're at this point in 2020, the 54th Super Bowl, that this has happened? I think it's a pretty big deal um, to have. I mean, the NFL is is an atmosphere where. You know, again, what was the incentive for making room for Absolutely. for women? <laughs> There's not any, and it's doing just fine with without women there. So I think it's a big deal. Um, I don't know uh, this the coach Sowers. I don't know what all she does on the staff, um, but I know just the fact that she's there on the team traveling you know in practice every day in that role is a big deal that's a big deal um and she's not the first woman head coach in the nfl but she's the first to make it to a super bowl um and the interesting thing to me will be to see where she goes from here because you know going to a super bowl is a big deal and that that helps you get more jobs and it helps Mm -hmm. you move up the ladder will it be that for her or will she just kind of stick around with the 49ers for a long time and and be kind of a novelty or will she really become a respected coach i guess that's a bit more what i wanted to say not saying if this is a big deal but um, you used the word novelty, and it was like, mm-hmm. how, is this not a novelty, or is this something that's very serious that this has occurred? Well, as I understand, and again, I've never been on a staff 
with a woman assistant coach. But as I understand, she runs the punt scout team and uh, does a lot of the grunt work that I did as a quality control coach for special teams. I think that's good. There were four women coaching on full-time positions in the NFL this year, but none of those four had their own (laughs) position, uh, uh, ran their own meetings. They were doing what we call quality control work, and now some of these staffs have gotten immense, even up to 30 people. And so that work is so divided among the staff, and so – I think the next step for a woman in the NFL would be to coach a position and be in charge of that meeting room. And I I don't know any of the four women that coached this year, but I would hope that they're being prepared for that. The NFL is really interesting. I will say this. I started in the NFL at age 25. By age 26, I was a full-time assistant coach. And by age 30, I was an offensive coordinator. This league uh, is kind of incestuous in some ways in that they really groom you and hire from within. And so I could see Kyle Shanahan at the 49ers and John Lynch, their GM, really trying to groom these quality control coaches, because as you get good in the NFL too, other teams start to pluck your coaches. And so you want to have somebody to fill in uh, in those spots. So I hope she's really being groomed, as all quality control coaches should be, to coach a position and then ultimately become a coordinator. discussed in an earlier episode, Marcia, um, this is a far more gender-fluid world with each day. But gender roles in the NFL are still very rigidly defined. Yes. Will that ever change? It's interesting to think... And is there an incentive for it to change, yeah. going back to that question we asked earlier? Right. <clears throat> because, I mean, a, a lot of what the NFL is about in our culture is this kind of reifying gender roles i mean that's what it's about this is what men look like this is what women look like this is what men do this is what women do um it's in the dna of of football so if you know we don't need just to need to look at gender representation but let's say sexual orientation you still don't have a lot of gay nfl players who we have a lot of gay nfl players but a lot of out gay NFL players it's still there's zero right now so it's still not an atmosphere in which the realities of of gender and sexual identity um, in the larger culture that that are more fluid that 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 we're not all kind of on either end of this binary that um, that's not the way the NFL reality is embodied so um I don't know. It's kind of like what would football be without 
high tackles and <laughs> what would football be without um cheerleaders or something like that there's there's certain things that seem very essential to what what role football plays in our culture and one of those at the top of the list is gender performance so i i can't see a clear path to that changing because that's so much about what it is and 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 what it feeds in people The one thing that I would say to any listener out there that's thinking, well, if a woman didn't play football, can she coach? Well, there have been NFL head coaches who never played football, not in high school, not in college. Todd Haley is a guy that we worked with who was the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, never played a snap of organized football in his life. His His father... His yeah. <laughs> father was a scout, a longtime scout, but Charlie Weiss also, who was an offensive coordinator in the NFL first spell and went on to become the head coach at Notre Dame, never played a snap of organized football in his life. And so, having said that, I think there's a path for women, perhaps in coaching, more so than, than in playing. playing. Yeah. And there might be an incentive uh, for teams to hire a woman on their staff because there are a lot of NFL fans that are are women. women. And that does, to some degree, have to be a bit of a lure. I don't know how much, and I'm not sure anybody knows. And it's also not just players or coaches, but general managers, Mm -hmm. office staff, owners, not to be biased toward my own <laughs> gender group, but women are smart. Women are doers. Women are able to get things done. And, um, you know, John's coached on teams where there were women in the front office who did a hell of a job, a great job, who were sharp and um, able to to do things um, in a very professional way. I do think as women you know, women grow in the professional ranks of lawyers and um, people with MBAs and things like that. You know, why wouldn't there be women in, in front office positions? I, th- I can see that more clearly than I can see women in coaching. There's a there's a real difference in the NFL between the people in the front office and the people that are coaches. It's just different kind of wouldn't you say, John, different sure. kind of understanding of who, what the, the show, person's though. purpose is? That's part is. of the show, though, right? People right. don't see the front office. Right. They do see that. And what you were saying earlier, there may not be an incentive mm-hmm. for the NFL to change this at all because the fans who watch may not want this. Even and with more, the women the fans. Want. And I can say that, that, you know, internalized misogyny and sexism is a real thing. I've never seen any any research or studies on on women who are NFL fans but I'm I'm wondering it'd be an interesting study for somebody to do to to explore why they love the NFL is it 
because they themselves see themselves they see themselves as a coach or they see themselves are they the ones up there complaining about the play calling or are they fans for a different reason because you know their dads were fans or this is something they did as a kid growing up with with men that they cared about or their spouses i would love to hear what you know kind of what are the things that generate a female fan just as we saw in the last presidential election women vote against their their interests you know and women um make social decisions and decisions with their money that that often prop up male institutions and male way of ways of doing things so just because there are lots of women fans doesn't mean they're the people who want to see a woman coach Lastly, we're going to take our picks for the game. Now, I have not paid much attention to the NFL this year. I did watch some of the playoffs. I believe Marsha's in the same boat with me, did not watch much. Maybe caught a few playoff games. And John coached in the league for more than a decade, quarterback coach the whole way. So, uh, awful interesting quarterback matchup. But, um, I don't know, who do, who do we like this weekend? Uh, I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs anytime. I, th- I think it's going to be a really close game. But I always try to err on the side of picking the quarterback that I just think is the best in the matchup. And I'm not sure there's a better quarterback in the game right now than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Kansas City Chiefs as well. And I'm going to admit that I have a residual repulsion to 49ers from our time with the Raiders. It's hard to be a 49ers fan when you were with the Raiders. I also like Patrick Mahomes, and while John never worked for Andy Reid, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for him, just because when we were closely, he's a good man, and he's had some tragedy in his life, and I just be nice to see that happen for him i guess we'll make it three for three oh how exciting how about this it's because patrick mahomes father was a reliever in the majors pitched for a bunch of different teams and briefly he pitched for the pirates so there you go oh did he brief yes, okay. very brief even more reasons to love so patrick the, mahomes so i worked the pirates reference into the show john <laughs> You've been listening to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century, from the studios of Blue Ridge Public Radio, NPR for Western North Carolina. Tell us what you think of the show by emailing us at goingdeep at bpr.org. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Shoops Going Deep.